Chapter Two of Short Stories for Colored People, Both Old and Young, by Silas X. Floyd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Truth About Luck. How often do we hear someone say, My, but he's lucky, or It's better to be born lucky than rich. Boys and girls are too often in the habit of thinking that one of their schoolmates are lucky because they always stand well in their classes and frequently have spending money in their pockets. It is not likely that luck had anything to do with it. They probably stood well and were at the head of the class in school because they studied and tried harder than the other scholars, and had money to spend because they spent their time out of school hours in working to earn it instead of at play. Some years ago I happened to find myself near the terminal of the Great East River Bridge in New York City. Two little boys were standing near one of the large iron posts crying their afternoon papers. I tarried near them because I was waiting for a particular car. One little fellow said to the other, "'How many papers have you sold today, Tommy?' "'Nearly one hundred and fifty, was Tommy's quick reply. "'Honor bright? Yes, honor bright. "'Whoopee! But ain't you in big luck, Tommy?' "'Luck!' exclaimed Tommy. "'wiping the perspiration from his brow. "'There ain't no luck about it. "'I've just been everlasting at it since four o'clock this morning. "'That's all. "'And that is all of real success. "'Those who achieve success are everlasting at what they are trying to do. "'Tommy was right in declining to have his hard and honest work "'cheapened by calling the result of it luck. "'You are the luckiest chap I ever saw.' I once heard a little boy about sixteen years say to another boy of about the same age, "'Why do you say that?' asked the other. "'Because you have had your salary raised twice in the same year.' "'Well,' was the reply, "'you may call it luck, but I don't. "'I have always done my work the very best I knew how. "'I have never once in the whole year been a single minute late in getting to the office.' nor have I ever left it a single minute before it was time for me to leave. When I have worked overtime, I have not made any fuss about it. My boss said when he raised my salary last week that he had taken these things into account. So I don't see where luck comes in. All the same, said the first boy, some bosses wouldn't have raised your salary. Then I would have the satisfaction of knowing I had done my duty. Boys, I tell you that's right. Nine out of ten employers know that it is to their advantage to show appreciation of faithful work, and they show it. When this appreciation comes, luck has nothing to do with it. The thing that passes for luck is in nearly all cases the just reward of honest endeavor. Do not, therefore, start out in life with the expectation that some lucky turn will bring you sudden honor or wealth or position without any effort on your part. Substitute that fine old word work for that deceitful word luck, and base your hopes of future success and usefulness upon the honorable labor that it is a God-given privilege for every well and strong and right-minded boy to give his heart and hands to performing. An Evening at Home Boys and girls between the ages of eleven and seventeen ought to spend their evenings at home as much as possible. In these busy, bustling twentieth-century days, there are many families, so much the worse for them, that scarcely know what it is to spend an evening at home together. Not only the young people, but the older people are on the go. 
the evenings are crowded with calls and invitations which come from far and near it is nothing to go five or even ten miles to an evening concert or social gathering the trolley is so near so cheap and so universal but i tell you boys and girls no matter what the pleasure or amusement afforded no matter what the instruction or culture received there are no social or similar opportunities good enough to displace the home circle the sooner young people realize this the happier they will be boys and girls ought to plan for some evenings at home let other things have a share but do not give up all the time to other things once a week the young people ought to arrange for an evening at home decline everything else for that evening the same as you would for any other engagement gather the family together make a special place for grandma and grandpa sing merry songs play innocent and amusing games take time to tell the home folks about some of the things that you do and that you have seen in the world get acquainted with the home folks be delighted in their delight by special appointment spend one or two cheerful hours with the folks at home each week the young folks themselves should take the lead in this matter a home is not merely a place with four walls where people meet to eat and drink and sleep securely beneath a roof nay boys and girls a house is reared to be a home the center where a family may gather into one to be a serene retreat where the tenderest affections may find rest where love may have a dwelling-place and the amenities of life gain ample scope where parents and children may press one another heart to heart where sorrows and joys may be freely shared in sacred confidence in a word where the great work of training human beings for the duties of the present life and the perfection of another may be begun and carried on there is one special reason for making much of the evenings at home that young people are not likely to think of inevitably the family circle will be broken up very soon perhaps not by death but most certainly by change when fred goes to college that is the beginning of new ties and new associations and the home privileges can never be quite so complete to him again the years of the complete unity of home are very few indeed while these years are passing young people especially should make the most of them my dear boys and girls get the benefit of these years get their joys store up memories of home life for they will be in future years the most beautiful pictures of the heart however some may sneer at it the memory of home and mother is a great power for righteousness it has saved many a person to god and native land and race be it ever so humble there's no place like home the making of a man mr stamps seated near the table was glancing over the afternoon paper mrs stamps in an easy chair was doing some fancy work little bobby six years old more or less was playing with his toys on the floor all at once the precocious little boy stopped short in the middle of his sport and looking up at his mother asked mamma who made the world god replied mrs stamps sweetly who made the sea continued bobby mrs stamps answered god well said bobby did god make everything yes my son the lord made everything and did he make everybody 
Yes, the Lord made everybody. Bobby was silent for a moment. Presently he looked anxiously at his father, and then, turning to his mother, he asked, Mama, did God make Papa too? Yes, God made Papa also. After a lengthy pause, Bobby asked, Mama, do you think I could make a man if I was to try real hard? You had better run out to play now, Bobby, said Mrs. Stamps, somewhat nonplussed by her son's curiosity. Bobby left the room almost immediately. He went straight to the beach in front of the house and labored long and earnestly in piling up some wet sand. Pretty soon he was joined in his work by two other little boys. For some time the three little fellows worked vigorously in piling up the mud. Mrs. Stamps called her husband to the window, so that he might see what the boys were doing. "'Wife,' said Mr. Stamps, "'I believe those little Satans are trying to make a man.' Toward sunset Bobby ran into the house and exclaimed with delight, "Mamma, we've got our man almost finished. We didn't have but one marble, and we used that for one of his eyes.' I came in to ask you to give me a marble, so that we might put in his other eye. It's too late to bother now, Bobby, said Mrs. Stamps. Wait until tomorrow morning, then I will give you a marble and let you finish your man. The next morning, bright and early, Bobby went out to look for his man. Lo and behold, the sea had washed the man away during the night. But Bobby, of course, did not suspect that. He thought the man had gone away of his own accord. So the little fellow spent the entire morning looking for his man. He looked under the house. He looked in the stable. He went up to the garret. He walked up and down the beach. He went into the woods, looking for his man. But his man was nowhere to be found. Two or three weeks later, an African Methodist Episcopal Conference assembled in Bobby's town. Among the ministers present there happened to be a short, chubby, tan-colored brother with only one eye. When Bobby spied him, he examined the man curiously and cautiously from head to foot. The examination ended. Bobby concluded that it was his man. At once the little fellow left his mother and went over and took a seat beside the man. Bobby's mother was somewhat embarrassed. The man was evidently pleased, although, to be sure... He himself was not quite certain why he should be an object of special interest to the little boy. The man went to the secretary's table to have his name enrolled. Bobby went with him. He went into the vestibule to get a drink of water, and Bobby followed him there. But all the while the man was still in doubt as to the cause of the little boy's apparent affection. By this time, thoroughly exasperated, Bobby's mother decided to go home. She approached the pew in a very ladylike manner and said, "'Bobby, dear, come. We must be going home now.' "'All right, Mama," said Bobby in dead earnest. "'But you will please let me take my man home with me, won't you? "'I just found him today, and you know I've been looking for him for over two weeks.' Then, for the first time, it suddenly dawned upon Mrs. Stamps what was the matter with Bobby. In spite of herself, she laughed heartily at the boy's perversity. Finding that his mother hesitated to reply, Bobby turned to the man and said, "'Come on, we're going home now. Why did you leave before I finished you?' False Pride 
once upon a time the head clerk in a carpet store requested one of his junior clerks to go to a patron's home to measure a room and suggested that he take along a five-yard sample the junior clerk objected to carting such a big bundle as he said all over town and asked that one of the boys be sent with it the proprietor of the establishment who happened to overhear the remark privately told the head clerk to inform the proud young fellow that a boy would be sent on after him with the roll shortly after the young man reached the house the proprietor of the establishment covered him with confusion by appearing at the house in person with the roll of carpet under his arm handing the bundle to the bewildered young man the proprietor remarked here is the carpet young man i hope i have not kept you waiting for it if you have any other orders i'll take them now a young woman of my acquaintance refused to carry home a yeast cake though it was needed at once for the family baking and she was bound directly homeward she said that she wasn't a delivery wagon and so the yeast cake had to be sent to her home a great many foolish young people are so absorbingly regardful of their trim appearance on the street that they will never under any circumstances carry a basket or a bundle however much inconvenience they may cause others by refusing to do so now it is not proper pride or self-respect which prompts people to act as the young folks acted whom i've just referred to it is silliness which prompts them to act so any honest work is honorable that is honorably done and you will notice that young people of good social position and strength of character are above such pettiness only inferior people act that way superior people do not act so because they are well aware that they cannot be compromised by doing straightforwardly without fuss or apology whatever needs to be done yet i admit that it seems to be human nature that whatever is distasteful or supposedly menial should be done by somebody else when young people or old people for that matter are tempted to be foolish in such things they should remember the lesson of humility that christ taught his disciples when in that warm oriental country where only sandals are worn he performed the necessary service of washing the disciples feet for us to be above our business for us to think ourselves too good or too dainty to soil our hands with honest toil for us to feel that it is a lowering of our dignity to carry a bundle through the street is to prove by our conduct that we are not up to the level of our business that we are possessed of a great amount of false pride and in a higher sense it shows that we have a foolish and wicked distaste of true service there is nothing low nothing degrading nothing disgraceful in honest labor in honest work of any kind whether it be to boil an egg properly to sweep a floor well to carry a bundle or package through the streets or bring a pail of water in fact if somebody were to say that chores done or undone are the making or unmaking of boys and girls it would be a homely way of putting an important truth bringing up coal or bringing in wood weeding the garden bed running errands washing dishes sewing seams dusting furniture doing any odd jobs where there is need cheerfully faithfully these lead to the highway of greater opportunities and are the usual avenues to the only manhood and womanhood that is worth having my young friends 
the castle of your noblest dream is built out of what lies nearest at hand it is the uncommonly good use of common things the everyday opportunities that makes honored lives and helps us and helps us to help others along the sun road he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall End of chapter 2